What's up, guys? Welcome to the UFC 252 recap right here on the Adult Rec League podcast. I'm your co-host, D. Jones. And I'm Rick. What's going on, guys? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing today? Um, Rick, let's just go ahead and uh, talk about the elephant in the room right now. I think maybe me and you need to do a little bit better on our predictions. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, uh, we, we went 0 for 5 this past weekend. Uh, Terrible. We- USC 252. It was a solid card. The main event was a was a phenomenal fight. I guess we'll start off. We'll just do the main card. Uh, of course, I had to I had to work that night, so I, I couldn't be there for the whole fight card. But we we got to watch the main card, and we'll start off. Uh, Marab Balasvili. Well, John real Dawson. Quick, real quick, I do want to shout out something though. Before we dive into this main card. There was a fight on the early prelims. It's actually the first fight on the night, fight of the night. Uh, Kai Kamaka and Tony Kelly, absolute war. I mean, those two just stood there and banged. It was a ridiculous fight. So just wanted to shout that out before we jump into this man card. If you guys didn't see that fight when you, if you guys didn't see that fight this past weekend or maybe you missed it, go ahead and get on ESPN Plus uh, and, and check that one out when you can. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch it, but uh, when they put it up on ESPN Plus, I will definitely check it out. Yeah. But uh, first fight of the night, Marab Vallis-Beely beats John Dotson by unanimous decision at Bantamweight. Um, this is the one fight that I didn't get to ch- that I didn't get to see, Rick. So, uh, if you want to walk us through what happened and how Vallis-Beely got the decision, you know it was this was one of those fights um, where it was kind of going to be a clash in styles. Um, you know, Marab obviously doesn't have the kind of experience that Dodson has. Um, and I can't really pinpoint, I can't really pinpoint um, what the issue is with John Dodson. I think maybe just, it might just be, might just be time. Um some of that explosiveness, those reflexes, the quickness that that um, that John Dotson used to show in some of his fights, it's it just doesn't seem to be there. Um, I mean, the story of the fight, Marab landed 88 of 171 total strikes. Dotson landed 31 of 90. So 34.4% accuracy on Dotson's part. Marab had 51.5, landed 50 significant strikes for Marab to 27 for Dotson. And talk about constant pressure. Marab, even though it's a low rate, he, he completed two of 20 takedown attempts. So he was just on Dotson. Um, that was the, he was able to establish his will. And that was, that was the story of the fight. 20 takedown attempts. That's gotta be some sort of record. Yeah, I don't know what the record is for for takedown attempts in the UFC. That'd be something to to look up real quick. Yeah, I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Khabib might have the record for most takedowns in a fight, but I don't know what the record is for takedown attempts in a fight, but 20, that's got to be up there. Yeah. And Yeah, it, probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, just just listening to all the stats that you just laid out, it seems like Marab just completely controlled the fight. Fourteenth ranked bantamweight, so going yeah, so. into going into the fight, so he'll definitely move up into the rankings. 
yeah, he's definitely going to get a, you know, get a top 10 opponent probably next. Um, you know, it's, it was a good win for him. Dotson's kind of just that gatekeeper right now. I don't know. You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to kind of escape that role. You know, what is he 36, 37 years old? So it's just kind of one of those things that he's going to be, be that guy that if you beat, you get to move into a top part of the division, but most likely probably not going to be champion again. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, Every single division, it seems like has that type, type of guy. You know, they were just talking about in the middleweight division how Derek Brunson is that gatekeeper kind of guy. After his- but then again, yeah, he, he was. But then again, that last performance by Derek Brunson could possibly, I mean, it could possibly be the start of him moving out of that role. We'll see. Yeah, and it's one of them things where, you know, I want Brunson to do good because he's from Wilmington. You know, I mean, when we went to that little small fight in Charlotte, he was cornering one of the guys. Oh, yeah. One of the guys that won. So, yeah. uh, you know, so, I mean, I, we want Derek Brunson to do good. I mean, we want everybody to do good. But, you know, in, in, a, in the fight game, there's going to be a winner and a loser. So, yeah. Yeah, that's just, I guess that's just how the cookie crumbles. But uh, Marab Vallisvili getting the win over John Dotson, moving up in the rankings in the, Bantam, in the very stacked Bantamweight division. Oh, yeah. But uh, th- this next fight, really surprised me. Daniel Pineda, after six years out of the UFC, TKO's Herbert Burns in the second round. Just a completely dominant performance by Daniel Pineda. Really showed showed a lot of... uh, His ground game was solid. He controlled Herbert Burns basically the entire fight. Got him in the crucifix and eventually TKO'd him in the second round. It was a great performance by Daniel Pineda six years out of the UFC. Yeah, he looked great. Uh, like I said, we you know we picked obviously Herbert Burns having uh, a significant reach advantage plus weighing in heavy on top of it. Uh, that was crazy. So I you know that I didn't expect that, but he if you I mean if you look at the story of the fight, I mean just look at these numbers, total strikes. So Herbert Burns landed 35 of 48 total strikes, 72.9%. Not bad, right? Except for Daniel Pineda landed 173 of 205 strikes for an 84.4 total strike percentage in the fight. Yeah, that's that that's got to be one of the highest accuracies for strikes for total strikes landed in probably in a UFC fight. I mean, 80 I mean, you're landing 85 out of uh, 85% of, of your punches or your kicks or knees. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's very impressive. And to throw 205 and still land 85%, that's very impressive. Yeah, that's a lot of volume to uh, to land that high of a percentage of your strikes is incredible. Yeah, and, it, you know, the, like I said, a lot of this, you know, you, when you hear about that, you think, oh, man, this is a stand-up war. Not really. It was – the most of the fight took place on the ground. I mean, yeah. Herbert, Herbert Burns landed three out of four takedowns. Daniel Pineda landed one out of two. So there was four total takedowns in the fight. Most of the fight was on the ground. It was a lot of ground strikes. Yeah. Especially, like I said, the second round, uh, Daniel Pineda got him in the crucifix and submitted him. And I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, not submitted him, finished him. And Rick, that was the, the craziest stat that you uh, – said to me that night was 
Daniel Pineda's 27 wins. How, how you said, what did you tell me? And his, all of his 27 wins. Oh, we're by uh finish, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. never been to a decision. Like a, he's never won a decision. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's a lot of fights uh, to, to have never won by a decision. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah. granted, he's 27, 13. So he's took some lumps. He's took some losses, had two, no contests, but, to have 27 victories and all of them by finish, that tells you the story of Daniel Pineda's fights. Yeah, exactly. And like I said that night, that's a guy that I would want on my fight cards because I know he's going out there and he's looking to finish fights. He's looking to get, uh, as Connor said, he's looking to get 60 Gs, baby. Yeah. So that bonus money. So, I mean, you know, uh, like, like we said, great performance by Daniel Pineda. Six years out of the octagon, comes back, gets a big win over a over a over a guy in Herbert Burns who was on the rise, yeah. but uh, you know took a step back against Daniel Pineda, and hopefully we see Daniel Pineda in the near future because he looked very impressive on Saturday night. Absolutely, looked great. So we go from the we go from the small guys to the big boys uh, in the heavyweight division. Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Knocks out Junior Dos Santos in the second round. Two big heavyweights. I thought Junior Dos Santos clearly won the first round. He was outpointing him. He was outstriking him. But in the second round, Jarzinho Rosenstrike started to open up. He started to, uh, you know, I guess he got he got loose. He got more aggressive. Started yep. to figure out Junior Dos Santos' timing or lack thereof. And caught him with a big right hand and never looked back. Yeah, I mean, there were some spots in the fight. Um, I mean, they keep – when they were showing the highlights, they kept showing this big looping overhand right that Dos Santos hit Rosenstrike with. You know, that that's a punch that Dos Santos has put a lot of opponents out with. He's got great timing on it. He actually knocked Cain Velasquez out in the first fight uh, on Fox with that that punch. Yep. You know, landed landed it on Rosenstrike right on the chin. Rosenstrike was right back there, right back in his face, so – I think uh, Rosenstrike definitely took that first round. He, he lost the first round. I think he might have just been feeling Dos Santos out. Second second round, a lot more aggressive. And that big looping right hand that he's put several opponents down with, Dos Santos falls victim to it. Yep, and uh, going into the fight, Dos Santos was the fifth-ranked heavyweight. Jarzinho Rosenstrike was the sixth. And now, uh, of course, we're getting ready to talk about the main event, but um... – Francis Ngannou is the number one contender now. Yep. Number number two is Alice. Uh, I think it's I believe it's Alistair Overeem, and I believe number four is Derek Lewis. So Jarzinho Rosenstrike right back in the mix. Right Curtis back Blades. In the mix. Curtis Blades I believe is number two. Actually, I think Alistair Overeem is number three. So you know, Jarzinho Rosenstrike right in the mix. Maybe looking towards a title shot here soon. I think uh, I think you have to give Francis Ngannou the title shot first. But yeah, you know, and I think uh, Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades were kind of saying they they both expressed the interest in fighting each other. But now you have a situation where if one of those guys can't fight or they can't get a contract done, you could plug in Rosenstrike against either one of them and have a top contender fight still. Exactly because uh, Rosenstrike has fought Ngannou. Rosenstrike has fought Alistair Overeem. So, really, the only two guys in the top five that he hasn't fought are Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. So, we'll be interesting to see where Jarzinho Rosenstrike goes from here. 
like I said, I think I'm pretty sure Ngannou is going to get the next title shot. And yeah. uh, like I said, Jarzinho Rosenstrike right in the mix. Oh, yeah. um, I think, Rick, when you brought up the gatekeeper uh, term, I believe Junior Dos Santos is now the heavyweight gatekeeper now. Yeah, it's it's so tough. You know, Dana White actually said during the post-fight press conference that he wasn't pushing – he wasn't going to push Dos Santos out the door, but he was going to review his future. You know, Dos Santos has lost three straight KO losses. Yeah. So, once once – I mean, your eyes need to be raised when you lose two KOs in a row. When you get to three, it's it's an issue of fighter safety. I mean, Dos Santos, obviously a little older in age. It's not like you can give Dos Santos a year and a half off and say, hey, rest up and come back and we'll see what we can do. The clock's ticking on Dos Santos's career already. So, could be a situation. I mean, Dos Santos still has some star power. There's no doubt in my mind that if the UFC were to let him loose, Junior Dos Santos would end up in Bellator. But might be a situation where Dana needs to sit down with him and, and kind of pull the plug on the career. The UFC career. Yeah. Um, it, 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 you know, this, this is starting to remind me of Chuck Liddell. You know, Chuck Liddell, one of the best light heavyweights of all time was the light heavyweight champion. Yeah. Uh, Junior Dos Santos was the heavyweight champion of the world. And uh, all of a sudden you get clipped one time and that's, that's really it. I mean, Chuck Liddell, uh, I would say Junior Dos Santos's career has gone better than Chuck Liddell's because when Chuck got knocked out, that was basically it. Uh, You know, Chuck just started losing at loss after loss after loss. Yeah, I mean, I think after he got KO'd by Rampage, he won. He beat. He beat Vanderlei Silva. Yeah, and that, was, and that was pretty much it. I mean, he lost to Keith Jardine. Jardine dropped him. You know, he took a loss to Rich Franklin. Rich Franklin knocked him out with a broken arm. With a broken arm, I mean. Rashad he, knocked him out cold. Shogun Hua knocked him out cold. I mean, you know, like at least Junior Dos Santos has actually had a couple wins. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think Junior Dos Santos is kind of starting to be like that Chuck Liddell where every time he goes out, you just pray that he doesn't get knocked out because, you know, like you said, you have to start worrying about fighter safety. And then, of course, regrettably, Chuck Liddell came back out of retirement, fought Tito Ortiz not too long ago and got knocked out by him. Yeah, that was one of the worst. Uh, he he should not have been in there for no. that that Golden Boy promotion crap. He, Absolutely not. He should not have been in there. I, I I think there's there's some guys on the streets that probably could have knocked out Chuck Liddell that night. And that was t- I, I I won't go that far, but that was tough to watch. I mean, Chuck <laughs> could barely move around the cage, and obviously he got knocked out by a guy that he, you know, handedly beat several times before. So. It just it didn't do anything for him. Yeah, exactly. But Jarzinho Rosenstrike gets the win by, via knockout in round two and um, moves himself up in the heavyweight division. Hopefully a title shot is in his near future. But, um, you know, on the fighter safety, the co-main event definitely did not go as planned no. for, the U- for the UFC. It was in the bantamweight division. On paper, it will say Marlon Vera wins via TKO, but the Sugar Show was stopped very early uh, in the first round. In the first round, 
on Saturday night because of injury. Yes. Um, I think they, I think it was his right leg. I think he just planted and something went in his right leg and he just could he was so immobile. Yeah. It was his ankle. It was something in it. Something. I think I actually seen something today. He's getting an MRI done. Yeah. His ankle just rolled under his body. And after that, his movement was done. I mean, he got up and stood still for about 15 seconds. Yeah, it wasn't. And it wasn't like a sprained ankle or anything like that. It was something way more serious than that because, you know, the guy could, I mean, the guy was holding like midway up his leg, kind of near like his shin area. It was right below the ACL, but it was more in his shin. It wasn't like it was just a sprained ankle, like a freak sprained ankle, like some of us have. You know, we'll just walk and just step into a hole or something, and our ankle will roll. It was something way more serious than that. Of course, we know Sugar Sean O'Malley is known for his kicks, his movement. He's got a, a lot of movement. Yeah, he's got a karate style, and a, a, a you know a an injury like that is a killer to a guy like Sean O'Malley. It's a lot of in and out, side to side movement, real quick, pop pop out. So having his ankle hurt like that. I mean, O'Malley was a sitting duck, I will say. I thought the fight was stopped a little prematurely. I thought that maybe, I mean, if the fight would have went back standing, obviously we know what probably what would have happened. I mean, Vera was pretty much going to dance around him because O'Malley couldn't move, but I thought that I thought that O'Malley should have been given a little more time to try to maybe pull some jiu-jitsu magic up off of his back. So, Yeah, I mean, you know, it was stopped with 20 seconds left in the first round. And I think, it, you know, I, I don't want to completely defend Herb Dean, but I'm going to defend him a little bit just for the simple fact that I believe that Herb Dean knew that he was hurt and he was hurt really badly. Everyone did. I mean, the commentators were all saying it as well. And maybe Herb Dean stopped that fight to prevent more injury, which if that's the case, then I completely respect it. But yeah. at the same time, I it was stopped early. He was covering up. He was comp- he was definitely defending himself. And I would hope that when he went back to his corner, maybe they would have stopped the fight. And yeah, I mean, possibly. Instead of him, you know, instead of the referee stepping in, maybe his corner would have said, "Hey, you know, he's hurt. We're not going to risk any more injury. Let's let's just go ahead and stop this fight." But what I don't like about this, and this is the same. I hate when people do this shit. You know, I said the same thing when Anderson Silva fought Weidman the second time. You know, obviously Weidman was performing very well against Anderson. Anderson threw that kick and broke his leg. And Weidman ran around the cage with his hands up. You know, to me, I'm like, yeah, you need to get a little class. Absolutely. I mean, let's, you know, Vera was in the post fight press conference and stuff talking about how he halted the sugar show. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it shows up as a win for you, but let's not pretend that that fight would not have been completely different. If O'Malley did not get hurt, like have a little bit of humbleness and, and respect the fact that your opponent got hurt and you, while you definitely capitalized on that situation, which you're supposed to do, you're a fighter. Let's let's not act like you outclassed him, you know, hit him with some mean strikes on the feet and stopped him without him being on one leg. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, you got to have humility in the sport. And uh, like you said, 
you know, he, he jumped up on top of the cage, which you're not supposed to do, actually. Yeah. Uh, he jumped up on top of the cage. I'm pretty sure he said the word puta, which yeah. which in, uh, in Spanish, I believe, is uh, the equivalent to being called a bitch. Yes. And, you know, he was saying, you know, this is the Cheeto show. And, you know, just going around the ring parading while this guy is seriously injured. Yeah, I mean, when the fight got stopped, O'Malley immediately grabbed a hold of his leg and and held it. You know, he had to get stretchered out of the... Yeah, O'Malley was in pain, but it wasn't from Marlon Vera. It was no. from the injury. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and let, let's, not, let's not forget, Sean O'Malley was, was, uh, was winning the fight before that dance. I mean, I'm sorry, before that injury occurred. Yes. He was Granted, winning. It was only, only the first round, but still was was winning. Yeah, uh, if if the injury wouldn't have occurred, he would have been up ten nine after one round, no question. Yeah, because he he was uh, striking, he was kicking. You know, he kicked Marlon Barra in the body a couple times, really hurt. I mean, some of them body shots were really hurting, and you know, let's just hope that O'Malley comes back stronger because you know he's known for his kicks. Known for his movement, let's just hope that this injury doesn't affect his kicks or movement or or, or his career moving forward. Because this guy is a stud and he's going to be around for a for a long time and he's very fun to watch. Yeah, and this is just a bump in the road. And like I said, hopefully you know get get well, Sean O'Malley, and hopefully we'll see him back sooner than later. And hopefully he'll be right back in the mix. Honestly, if I was if I was Sean O'Malley. When I when I come back, I would call for an immediate rematch against Marlon Vera. Yeah, I would too. And I I've heard some people say something about a rematch when O'Malley can return. I mean, we'll see how it pans out. I'm sure Marlon Vera is gonna probably try to ride the win, quote unquote, and try to move up the rankings. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, they can get a rematch in though. Yeah, because I mean, I'm just saying, if I was Sean O'Malley, I would definitely want a rematch, just because you know you want to prove to Marlon Barra, hey, if I wouldn't have got hurt, you you weren't winning. Yeah, you weren't winning that fight if I hadn't have got hurt. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, Marlon Barra was the 17th ranked bantamweight going up into that fight. Yeah. So he'll probably move up. He'll probably move up maybe into the top 15. But if he does, there's a lot of guys waiting for him. I mean, the Bantamweight division in the UFC is one of the best, is one of the more solid divisions in the UFC. So, you know, we'll see what happens with Marlon Barra. But, you know, other than that, Hopefully Sugar Show gets 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 well soon, and we see him back sooner than later. Yeah, I hope so. Be, well, let's go. Go ahead. Be, oh, I was just saying because that co-main event was just definitely didn't live up to the hype because you know of a freak injury. But you know we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll go on to the main event. Yeah, main event time. Um, obviously, this was billed as the biggest fight in heavyweight history, which it was. It was a very competitive fight. The ending, the ending to the fight was just tough. It's tough to live with, you know. Um, obviously, not on purpose. Stipe uh, pawed his hand out 
in the third round, and about half of his ring finger went into Daniel Cormier's eye. It was actually announced yesterday that Cormier tore his cornea in that third round. Uh, that was missed by the, the official. And while Cormier did come out in the fourth round and win uh, the fourth round, it definitely, it definitely hindered him. And, you know, that fifth round, it, the fifth round was all steep, eh, which a lot of people had to fight 2-2 going into the fifth round. You know, Cormier saying in his post-fight uh, interview that it was, it was black out of his left eye. He couldn't see. Yeah, uh, of course, Stipe, Stipe defeated Daniel Cormier by unanimous decision. Two, two of the three judges had it 49-46. One of the judges had it 48-47. So, uh, you know, it's not like Daniel Cormier was completely out of the fight because he definitely wasn't. But, uh, you know, the eye poke definitely did affect the fight. And, of course, it affected Daniel Cormier saying that he could – I mean, you, if you can't see for – you know, and that eye poke happened with like ten seconds left in the third round. So, you know, only being able to see out of one eye for the last ten for ten minutes against the greatest heavyweight that we've ever seen probably is yeah. is just a huge disadvantage. But Daniel Cormier fought through it. He fought a great fight. That was one of the best heavyweight fights I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it was great. And uh, you know, Stipe gets the win, beats Daniel yeah. Cormier. He outstruck him. Yeah, and then that's also good to mention, too, is in that second round, uh, we almost saw an exact repeat of the second fight. Stipe, you know, hit him with some big shots. Cormier dropped, kind of leg folded underneath him. And, you know, it was right at the end of the second round, Cormier was actually able to kind of grab both of Stipe's legs and hold in there until the end of the round. But we almost saw a finish. That was the only knockdown of the fight. Uh, a lot of strike volume for heavyweights. I mean, Stipe landed 171 of 244 total strikes, and Cormier landed 145 of 223 total strikes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, these are two of the most conditioned, two of the best conditioned heavyweights, probably the two best. I mean, yeah, neither. I mean, I think they were both tired after, you know, going into the fifth round, I think they were both really tired, but you, you couldn't really tell until late in the fifth round, but. You know, Stipe landed the harder shots, yeah. landed more shots. And uh, Stipe fought Stipe, – Stipe, that's the best – that's one of the best uh, performances of Stipe's career. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because after that second round when he knocked him down and almost finished him, you could hear Cormier go to his corner and say, did I drop? Yeah. So, so he really didn't know where he was at after that second round. No, he had no idea where he was at in the second round. And then, unfortunately, after the third round, you know, he went back into the corner and told his corner he couldn't see. So, yeah. just two tough back-to-back endings. Um, obviously, like we, like I said, Stipe, Stipe didn't poke him on purpose. Um, Stipe even said in the post-fight press conference he didn't know until he saw the replay on the screen that he had poked Cormier. And then after he had realized that, he apologized to Cormier in the fight. But, um, you know, an apology doesn't bring your vision back in your left eye. Yeah, and, and you know, it's an unfortunate situation. And, I, and I, you know, for a fact, Stipe Miocic didn't mean to do that. And, yeah. unfor- and unfortunately, the referee couldn't see it because if the referee saw it, I'm honestly not – the fight probably wouldn't have continued. 
because if Daniel Cormier told the doctor he couldn't see, I mean, yeah, I mean, doc- the doctor's not going to have him go out there. Oh, okay. I mean, he can't see, but this is his last fight. So let's let him keep fighting. Yeah. I mean, that, that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, you could, you could look at Cormier's eye and tell he couldn't see. It was kind of a, that whole situation was kind of mismanaged. I mean, his that left eye fight, was half closed. Yeah, it was half closed. I mean, the, you could tell his eye was in the post-fight um, interview. You could t- definitely tell his eye was fucked up. Um, you know, and that and that being his lead eye too. You know, there was a lot of hooks in that fifth round and different shots that you you know Cormier couldn't probably couldn't see. So that's it's a tough way, a tough way to end a fantastic career. Well, that that leads to my next question. Do you after that, after getting poked in the eye, not being able to see for the last ten minutes of the fight, do you think Daniel Cormier retires? I do. I do. I think Cormier's retired. You know, he, he, he alluded to it earlier in the week. You see these guys that just keep coming back to the well and coming back to the well and they end up leaving the sport as a shell of themselves. And Cormier said he didn't have any any interest in doing that. He also didn't have any interest in uh, fighting for anything but a title. So with that being said, I, I, I just don't think that there is enough. I don't think that there's going to be enough demand after watching this fight to see a fourth one, you know, with it being 2-1. Um, Cormier's also expressed a complete disinterest in going back to the light heavyweight division. Even if he did drop down to light heavyweight, I don't know that he would have an immediate match with John Jones. So at this point, I think, you know, with the, with everything that Cormier has going outside of the cage for him, like everything that he's got going for him with the announcing and the podcasting and different shows and stuff like that, I just I think it's just time time to call it a day. He went out like a champion. He went out fighting. There's no shame in that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, Daniel Cormier has a lot more to offer outside of the cage than he does inside the cage now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the best careers – in MMA history, one of the best careers in combat sports history, a legend, a future Hall of Famer. Uh, congrats to Daniel Cormier for all of his success, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we hear a lot more about him. You know, I'm sure commentating will be will be you know what we look forward to most with him and his. Uh, he's a great commentator. He's a phenomenal commentator. I love his show with Ariel Helwani. Uh, you know, uh, Daniel Cormier's just got a, he, he's a good dude. He's, he's got a lot going for him and I look forward to, you know, hearing about him in the near future. But um, let's move on to Stipe real quick before we wrap things up. What's, what's next for Stipe? Do you think it's a rematch against Francis Ngannou? Do you think Stipe retires? Do you think, um, do you think they let, those... go ahead. Do you think they let John Jones come up to heavyweight and fight him? I mean, what? That could be the only interesting thing. Um, I mean, I, it's, it's tough to say, it's tough to say because, you know, Dan, Dana White, sorry about that guys. Dana White said that Francis Ngannou was next. I don't know. I don't think that Dana White has a whole lot of interest in seeing John Jones go to heavyweight. I, I just, wonder why that is. Well, I mean, well, obviously we had the situation where. John Jones was trying to get the fight with Francis Ngannou, and he wanted more money. And, you know, 
that's that they got into a disagreement about it. And that's, you know, obviously Jones announced like a, some kind of retirement or alluded to the fact that he might just retire and, and sit out. So I, I, I don't know. John, John's career is just up in the air to go from saying, Hey, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to be retired to going on Twitter and saying heavyweight championships are next for you. You know, Dana pretty much said in the post-fight press conference, he pretty much put the kibosh on that and said that Francis Ngannou would be the next champion or would be the next title contender. Well, um, you know, that'll be the second time Stipe and Francis have fought. The, the first fight, Stipe just completely controlled the, the entire fight. Francis landed a few shots, but I think Francis tried to get him out of there early and then just completely gassed out. And Stipe, yeah, and Stipe controlled the rest of the fight. Stipe won by unanimous decision. So we'll see how the second fight goes. Uh, I think since that last fight, Francis Ngannou has only gotten better. Definitely. I think he's the scariest man in the UFC. And that's what makes this fight so tough for Stipe. Because, I mean, if if Stipe beats Francis Ngannou again, I mean, it's kind of risk-reward. How much, how much does that add to Stipe's legacy? And the risk that he's taking taking the fight. Because, I mean, it, listen, every time Francis Ngannou steps in that cage, you are at risk. His opponent is at risk of getting KO'd stiff every time. So, and and Stipe, has, he's a great fighter. Obviously, we've seen that with Cormier. He's gotten, you know, a little older and... Maybe I don't know how much his motivation is is there. So, and obviously we've we've seen Francis grow. I think Francis is going to take some of the things that Cormier did real well. I think he's going to try to probably be more patient. And I mean, I think Francis has a very big, very very good chance of beating Stipe Miocic. So, it's just kind of tough when it's it's tough on Stipe's part. Where it's like, hey, what gets you back in the cage? You know, this one was this fight with Cormier was a trilogy fight. This next fight is just going to be a rematch of somebody that he handedly beat in their first contest. It's got to be a tough spot. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if at the same point, though, you can make an argument that it's a tough spot for Francis because what if he loses to Stipe again? He's not going to get another title shot until Stipe loses the belt or retires. That's true, which, which could not, which might not be far off. Yeah. So that is the silver lining to that. Yeah, I think Stipe probably retires within the next couple of years. And uh, maybe even next year he retires. I, I, and, you know, honestly, if he loses to Francis Ngannou, maybe he retires then. But, uh, you know, there's a lot on the line for this for their, for their rematch. Francis, if he doesn't, like I said, if he doesn't beat Stipe, he's probably not going to get another title shot until Stipe retires or loses the belt. And if if Stipe loses, obviously he loses his belt, and he he might call it a career. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the in the rematch with Stipe and Francis Ngannou. Yeah, I think I know Francis was on social media calling for it for the end of the year. I mean, we'll see whether that happens or not. I mean, it's just so tough to tell. With it's just tough. It's tough to tell now with everything that's going on in the in the world when we're actually going to see fights. Do you think if Francis and God, let's just say Francis and God have beat Stipe. Do you think Francis calls out John Jones? 
Yeah, I mean, I think he calls out John Jones, but if Stipe wants to continue fighting, there's not a chance that they don't do a trilogy. Yeah, true. I mean, if he beats Stipe, there's probably not a shot that they don't do a trilogy, um, especially considering how their first fight went. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I know. I know John's trying to wiggle his way into that heavyweight division. John, I think, feels like he. I think John honestly feels like his legacy at two hundred five is pretty much set. So I think why risk that to come back and fight Reyes again, which was a very difficult fight the first time around. It's just everybody's trying to build a legacy in the sport and they're trying to go do what's next. So it's just kind of a weird time for the sport. We've seen, obviously the floodgates got open when they let Conor McGregor kind of call his shots. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, Josie Aldo got knocked out in 14 seconds, but Josie Aldo was also undefeated for like 12 years and was the champion for a very long time. He was the only champion in the featherweight division. You know, they didn't. And then McGregor moved on to 155 and fought. And once once that happened, you know, the floodgates kind of opened. Now everybody's looking for what is going to add to their legacy. Unfortunately, though, a lot of these fighters need to realize they're not Conor McGregor. Nobody's Conor McGregor when it comes to drawing power. Now, granted, is John Jones a better fighter than Conor McGregor? Yeah, I mean, there's no question about that. But uh, you're you're not drawing power like Conor McGregor. You're not making money like Conor McGregor is. So you know, when you make money like Conor McGregor is, and you're one of those guys that will literally fight anybody. Yeah, you get to call your own shots. You get to do things that Conor McGregor has done when you have no problem doing that you know you have no problem fighting Habib you have no problem fighting Nate Diaz at 170 after you just won the featherweight title two months prior at 145 then you're going to move up 25 pounds and fight Nate Diaz two months later yeah and then instead of instead of you know when he lost that fight to Nate the first fight to Nate he didn't go, oh, okay, well, you know, I tried 170. It didn't work. Okay, I'm going to go back to 145 and defend my belt. Nope. Six months later, he fights Nate Diaz again. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when you do things like that, you get to call your own shots. So, I mean, granted, I think that I don't like – I don't care about seeing John Jones at light heavyweight anymore. I would rather see him move up to heavyweight. Just, I mean, just to see because I don't think – I mean, granted, the gap is closing on John Jones at light heavyweight, but yeah. I want to see John Jones fight a, 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 guy, a bigger a guy bigger than him. That's what I want to see. I want to see John Jones have to deal with somebody who's bigger and stronger than him. Yes, it's true. I mean, he's even guys, even guys like Alexander Gustafson are height wise the same height or a little taller than he is. You know, he's always had a huge reach advantage on everybody. And, I mean, he would have a reach advantage on everybody in the heavyweight division. But just physically, these guys are bigger. And they're going to be stronger. And it's it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if somebody, you know, doesn't. I think a fight between John Jones and Stipe Miocic would be an absolute war. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think John Jones would – I think there's a – I think John Jones could – I think Francis Ngannou could beat John Jones. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, John Jones isn't going to ragdoll Francis Ngannou. No, he's not going to ragdoll Stipe. So, no. 
I mean, yeah, I, I just don't see that happening. That'd be it'd be a real skill for skill fight, and it would be an interesting fight. I mean, I definitely want to see it at some point if the you know if the UFC actually lets it happen and has some interest in it. I, I uh, the fans would probably love to see it, but we'll see how things pan out. Yep, as you know, Dana White's favorite saying: "We'll see what happens." Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But uh, but uh, that's that's gonna do it for our UFC 252 recap. Stipe Miocic retains the UFC heavyweight championship, defeating Daniel Cormier in their trilogy fight. Uh, next UFC pay per view that we got is UFC 253. Israel Adesanya, the last style bender, defends his middleweight championship against the big Brazilian Paulo Costa. That's uh, there's can't wait. There's been some serious uh. War of words between those two, uh, bad blood between those two. So looking forward, definitely looking forward to that fight. And um, I guess, uh, is there anything else on the agenda for us? No, I don't think so. We got some fight nights coming up. Should be some pretty interesting fights. You know, we might, who knows, we might link up and, and do another watch along. We'll kind of have to see how the schedules and everything pan out. But um yeah, they were looking forward to that Paulo Costa Adesanya fight. It's going to be fantastic. A lot of bad blood there. I'm sure the buildup is going to be interesting. So, should be good. It's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a UFC fan. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know, I really appreciate the UFC for you know continuing to go through with this with their fight schedule amid the pandemic. Of course, you know we're not having any fans, but uh, you know, honestly, it, it's kind of interesting to watch these fights without fans. Because you can hear the breathing, the fighters can hear commentators talking. Oh yeah, uh, you know, whenever a guy hits a leg kick or a body kick, you can clearly hear it. And uh, yeah. it, you know, it's 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 been a different experience, but you know, I just appreciate the UFC for continuing to go through with their fights and hopefully more pe- more. Uh, not only combat sports, but just sports in general follow what the UFC has done and getting fighters and everybody prepared to go into Saturdays to fight. Yeah. You know, because uh, I think, what is it? They've only had two or three positive tests. They've done really well. I mean, it's everything's, it's kind of, it's a smaller version of the bubble, the NBA, what you're seeing the NBA do now. I mean, the UFC was really, you know, just kind of that they kind of started that whole movement. And from what we've seen in the NBA and the UFC, it's, it's works. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks to Dana White, the Fertitta brothers, Sean Shelby, all them guys that make the UFC go. And the Fertitta brothers don't own the UFC anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> W-M-E-I-M-G. Yeah. I forgot about that, but you know, I still thank the Fertitta brothers because, you know, without them, who knows where the UFC would be? Yeah, probably not on pay-per-view like it was before they bought the company. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> um, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Adult Rec League. I'm your co-host, Steve Jones. And I'm Rick, guys. We appreciate you for listening. We'll see you next time.